Hi, I'm Donna Tatro, host of Kids Under Construction. I've been a journalist covering families for over a decade, and I'm the parenting expert on The Dr. Phil Show and The Doctors. Now I'm here to help you tackle the hardest job you'll ever have without an instruction manual or a license, parenting. But most importantly, I'm a mom to two very active adolescent boys. Every week, I'll be calling in the experts to get their advice on everything from creating boundaries, talking social emotional learning, mindfulness. We'll talk about technology and about drugs, alcohol and sex and more. Remember, kids are under construction. It's always a challenge, but we'll get through this together. My guest today is Dr. Michelle Borba, an internationally renowned psychologist and author of 24 books on parenting, children, and education. And she's got a new book out March 2nd, Thrivers, Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. I am so excited for that. You might know her last book, Unselfie. I loved it. I am so happy to have you here, Dr. Michelle, on Kids Under Construction. And I have my very first parenting book coming out next year. You got any advice? (laughs) Drink a lot of coffee. (laughs) Take a lot of notes. Because it's, I think what people don't realize, or my friends didn't realize, is writing the book is exhausting. But getting it out and marketing it is really, really ongoing. And so just don't stop. Just keep going because that's what parenting is all about. And parents are going to need your book. Ah, thanks. So I want to hear a little bit about Thrivers. I'm so excited for this. Well, Thrivers has been actually a 40-year journey. I started as a special education teacher way back when, and I saw that regardless of very severe learning and emotional needs, some kids struggled while other kids were shining. So I, I started to look at the research, and I found something phenomenal. Thrivers are made, not born. It's not DNA. It's not IQ. It's not a test score. It's what we instill in our kids. So that's what the book is. It's going to be just a journey of looking at the seven traits that matter most. And one of those traits is empathy. And unless we get back to that empathy piece, that's what's going to help us really be strong together. And that's what actually is dipping with our kids right now. Yeah, a lot of the research is indicating this, and it's so interesting to me. Your book, Unselfie, was just so great talking about the lack of empathy and how to get kids to have compassion and empathy. So let's talk about the state we're in right now, this pandemic, and what our kids are going through, what parents are going through, what families are dealing with. Talk a little bit about this. And I know from some research, you know, kids have been able to thrive in these challenging times in the past. Talk a little bit about that. Well, the fascinating thing is I've actually been interviewing 100 kids during this pandemic, and I am finding a bingo what you just said. Some kids are doing well and they are thriving. Remember, they've got those those usually those protective factors that were already in place. They know how to cope or they've got strong relationships or they've got that caring champion or they're not really enduring. I think this is the real critical piece, real trauma. Trauma is based on fear and terror. That would be the terrorist attack. That would be what's happening with a lot of people in California right now. Your your house, your fire, your your parents that, that died during COVID. That's terror. Most of the kids, I think, are dealing with more of a collective distress. And because everybody else is handling it, I'm going to get through this as well. That said, 
I, I think there's almost a perfect storm that's also going to take down empathy if we're not careful. Empathy first relies on face-to-face connection. Well, we've been social distancing, so there's number one. Empathy needs our stress to be kept at minimum. If we keep dialing our stress down, our empathy goes down and then burnout comes up and voila, there goes across the country what's happening. But the third thing that's fascinating is we began to see around the year 2000 when American kids' empathy started to nosedive and we said, what the heck is happening? Well, they became very, very plugged in. So now they're looking all day long at a screen. They're looking down, not up. They're stressed out and they're not, dis, you know, they're social distancing and don't have those personal connections. Don't raise the white flag. We can still <laughs> handle that because regardless of all of that, that's a natural disaster. We still have the tools in our house that we can say, here's what we're going to do to compensate. And that's what we need to be creative as parents. Now, see, this is why I love you so much. Um, I sometimes feel like I come off as a Pollyanna-ish kind of view and always trying to think, well, what's the positive in this? And of course, we have to allow our kids to feel their feelings and all of this. But can you talk a little bit about how we can allow those feelings to be felt, but then move on to this positive aspect and to try to build in that empathy that way instead of staying down in the dumps? Yeah, I, I, exactly. That's what's happening. We're staying down in the dumps and our kids don't know how to dig their way out. We've got to teach them, uh, give them a new toolbox. And empathy, if we just take a moment and step back a minute, I think the first thing we need to know as parents is empathy can be cultivated. Our kids arrive hardwired to care, but unless we are a little more intentional about it, it's going to lie dormant or in sleep mode is what's happening with a lot of kids. It's also made up of habits. Uh, nine, when I was looking at if this is so critical and empathy matters so much to our children and it's not soft and fluffy, it's transformational, then how do we teach it? I came up with nine habits and one of them you just mentioned. They got to learn how to, to deal with self-regulation. They have to be able to know how they're feeling, to be able to say my feelings, witness my feelings or verbalize them. And then they have to be able to know what the signs are of those feelings. And then they have to figure out, so what am I going to do if it gets too big and too unmanageable? That said, if there's one tip you can do this week, it's real simple. Start talking feelings with your kids. Naturally, not at six o'clock. Let's all talk feelings. And it's not a worksheet. This is just natural stuff. Let's look at daddy. How does daddy feel? Let's watch the movie Inside Out. It's a gold mine. But let's talk about feelings naturally together. How was your day? How do you know when you FaceTime with grandma? Let's FaceTime with grandma. Prime your kids. Watch her face. Listen to her voice. Watch her body language. Because you'll know when she's getting real tired. And you'll know when it's time to say goodbye. Because emotional literacy is the gateway to empathy. You can't feel with another person unless you can read their feelings. And I know we're all going to go, but we're all wearing masks. Okay, you can still read eyes. Yeah, so talk about that. These masks are on and we're also behind these Zoom screens. And it's not always easy to see or feel how somebody might be feeling themselves. So what are some tips on and the cues that we could say and share with our kids and ourselves? 
Well, number one, we've got to model this stuff because the best way to teach empathy is by you being the example of it. It just spills right down to us. Number two, don't go saying with the masks, our kids are a lost cause. I worked a lot in the Middle East with people in full burkas and all you saw were their eyes. Well, I got to figure out how you read their eyes and relationships opened up. Maybe in your house, what you do is make one little rule. Always look at the color of the talker's eyes. I don't care if it's around the dinner hour or if it's on Zoom. The reason for it is number one, they'll hold their head up. You want a bold kid? They need to be looking confident and holding your head up is the first secret. Number two, they'll be doing something that most teens told me they're not doing too much these days, reading each other very well because they're so addicted to the phone, they're looking down or the screen. What I wanted to ask you is about the fact that our kids are on technology so much more. And, you know, as a parent of two boys, 11 and 12, I monitor them before the pandemic. And now I've, yeah, I've loosened up a bit just because of the situation and how they need to see their friends on FaceTime and things like that. But, you know, could there be too, too much here at this point? I mean, what would you say as kind of a new technology contract, if you will, during the pandemic? Well, first of all, during the pandemic, we've got to loosen our expectations down a notch because that's the way our kids are connecting. And that's the way most of them are learning right now. So that's number one. But number two, we also as parents have to put up our little radars and go, what's the balance? Are they too much online? And they're not. And it's all about just talking, but not just relating. That's what we're trying to do. You and I are relating right now. I can see you and I know exactly how you're doing. We're, we're just having a conversation. You might as well just be right across the table. That's what we need to rebuild with our kids. How do you do it? Well, you create learning pods is one thing. You can also make sure with a little guy that you have Zoom play dates. I know that's not quite the same, but if you've got another caring parent who's there on the other side and realizes this is the time when our kids can... Really, they can do reading together. They can do book clubs together. I had a group of teens from Glenbar say that what they're doing, brilliant. They created a Google Doc. Can you imagine this? A group of teens that were worried about their friends. They put all their favorite movies that they all wanted to watch. They asked their parents, what are the movies you wanted to watch? And then every week they choose a parent movie or a kid movie. But everybody in the whole community is watching the movie at the same time. But here's part two. They also tune on their key, their phone right next to them. So grandpa, five states away, is watching the movie at the same time and everybody's respa- reacting together. And then at the end, they fill out their Google Doc of, how'd you like it? how did it make you feel? I'm going, brilliant, but that's teens and they're the brilliant ones. No, they're super smart. I mean, my son Jackson was on his screen and I was thinking, what are you doing? He's got the basketball game up and then he's got his his computer. And I'm thinking he's doing this dual thing. And I said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just, uh, we're watching the game together. Me and my buddy are watching the game together. So that's how they were connecting. So these kids are resilient. I see this. And so it is working. But um, the one thing I have, I I am watching them more though, because they are on technology and it's just part of it. We've got to do it, but it's just kind of this added thing that we've got to monitor even more. And like you said, relax those expectations. And I think that's good for parents to hear so that we're not so hard on ourselves. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, self-love and self-compassion for parents in this? Oh, 
Amen, amen, amen. First of all, you use the best word ever, together. When you're online, are you together? That's what empathy is. It's we, not me. So there's your, there's your first little index for self-compassion. When you worry too much, take a moment, step back and go, are they together or alone? Because a lot of times that together alone thing doesn't work at all. But together, you can still be connected. Number two, though, we've got to take care of ourselves so we can take care of our kids. If we looked at any bit of research, and I think this is the one we all better just tune into because it's profound, the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Psychological Association looked at 10 different studies of thousands of others, but they were trying to zoom in and go, what really matters when it comes to parenting? I mean, we've been fed so much stuff. I got 24 books and I'm like guilty, like one more thing I'm going to tell a parent. But what really matters of what we do? Are we overwhelming parents? What's the most important? Thousands and thousands of studies. They came up with 10 factors of if you don't do anything, here's the 10. Number one on the list, let's all guess, and I bet we're all going to get 100%. We got to love our kids, right? We got to be the warm, accepting, fair, discipline, all of that. But number two had nothing to do with the kids. The second most highly correlated factor of a real strong parent is it's a parent who handles stress and can cope. Because if you don't handle your stress, it spills over to your kids. Now, that said, when we go, oh my gosh, now what do I do? There's another little silver lining to this. You mentioned the word mindfulness. That's a big piece of empathy, and they weave in together. Our children do need coping skills, but don't just say, okay, I'm going to learn how to cope. I'm going to reduce my stress. Find one thing that you can use. Maybe it's deep breathing. Maybe it's mindfulness. I, the most profound stuff I ever did was when I was working in Tibet, was watching Buddhist monks, and I finally said, show me what the heck you're doing. And they said, all you do is just deep breathing. Just deep breathe. I go, How? If you just learn this one tip, you just, the minute you feel your stress, number one, figure out what your stress signs are. And maybe the first week you identify yours and start looking at your kids. First, some signs are emotional stress signs and you'll see your child, they'll be a, a little more clingy. Maybe your little Miss Sunshine is all of a sudden right there with you. Some kids are a little more weepy. Some kids get, and not just once, because every kid's got a bad day, but you're looking for this pattern. Some kids, you'll see them go quick from the irritation to the anger, and you'll see those outbursts or those temper tantrums a lot more frequently. Emotional signs are one. Physical signs can be also different ones, like you'll see them. Some kids I see, they start to go like this, or some kids, they start to move their feet a little more. They start to get a little edgy. Some kids, you ask them, they can feel that flush going up and their cheeks start to go like this. You, you can feel yourself getting a little more lightheaded. You're not doing all of those, but you're doing one and you're doing them almost every time. And I always tell kids, you know that word anger? That's what you got to watch out for because when you get really, really, really mad, that's when you can lose your friends. You go to timeout. Teacher's sake, that's it. Well, it's one letter short from the word danger. So you put a D in front of the word anger. Now you've got your first lesson. And now you go, now what we're going to do as a family is watch out for each other's stress signs. Because most times kids know ours, they don't know theirs. Ask your kid what your strength slides are. You go right before you get mad, mom, you do that weird thing with your eyes, but they don't know theirs. 
So no, now that's you so spend, interesting. Yes. Just spend a week pointing them out. Dignify it. Not like you're making a big deal out of it, but have you noticed? You can also do a pattern, parents. If you're really worried about some kids and it's getting too frequent, too often, it's spilling over too many areas, then just get a calendar and start marking the times of the day when it started to escalate and you'll notice a pattern. It's right before he has to do the time test or right before he goes to do Zoom or right at five o'clock when it's, he hasn't had enough dinner or right at three o'clock when he should be taking the nap. You'll see the pattern and that's the fastest way to reduce it. Now, that was step one. You're going to identify each other's stress signs. Step two is you're going to slowly teach them mindfulness. And the fastest way is model it. And here's how. Monks told me, It's a slow, deep breath from your tummy, real deep. Close your eyes and focus on the breath. Now that's hard. Takes you two weeks to get to focusing on the breath. But the first thing for kids is learning how to breathe right. Slow, deep, ride it up like you're riding up an escalator. Get to the top of the escalator. You're on the 40th floor. Take just a breath. Now slowly let it out. Go down, down slowly. But here's the secret. The secret's real easy. Your exhale should be twice as long as your inhale. If you do that, Madison, Wisconsin said, you'll get the fastest relaxation process there is. Step one, show them the signs. Step two, show them how. Show three, practice. And that's what we do wrong. For kids who hyperventilate, they they breathe too quickly. Put a feather on a table. <gasps> breathe the feather. No, 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 no. Don't let it bounce. See if you can breathe it slowly across. Little kids, dollar store bubble blowers. Blow your worry away. Real slow. Blow it real fast. No, not so fast. Not so fast. Don't pop the bubble. Blow it real slow. Oh, you're blowing your meanies away. That's so good. You can also do just elbow to elbow, back to back, lock arms. Because now you're showing your child what your breath feels like. You breathe and your child can do the slow breathing. Don't do all of these, but try one because most kids don't get the right relaxation process. My final one, I'm telling you, is my favorite, Donna. I was in um, Redondo Beach before the COVID. I walked into Jennifer Bell's classroom, brilliant teacher. Her kids are sharp and she's got all those ABCs down well. But every day they practice deep breathing. And as soon as I walked in, she says, oh, Dr. Borba's here. Everybody tell Dr. Borba what your stress sign is. Every kid can tell, <laughs> here's what happens to me. Oh my gosh, my heart starts to go. My feet go like this. My heart goes like, every kid knew their stress signs. And then she goes, so what do you do when you feel that stress? Every one of these precious six-year-olds yells out, you just breathe, Miss Bell. You just breathe. And she says, now show you, show her, show her. They all get on the floor. But here's the gold mine. Each one of them grabbed a beanbag, Donna. They put like Froggy or a turtle on their tummy real deep because they're going to give Froggy or Turtle a ride. Slow, oh. deep rides. Not too fast. Don't do too fast. Good turtle gets scared if it's too fast. They breathe up and down. They practice every day. Three minutes into it, half the class was asleep. It really is amazing because um, when you think about mindfulness, it's free. Yeah. You don't have to go see somebody. You can teach your children this. 
And, you know, yep. I, I've got one of my kids is, you know, he doesn't like to sit and do the breathing. So we kind of do a walking mindfulness or or we think about other ways for kids who are active. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because not every kid is going to be able to sit there in the beginning. And what I what I love about mindfulness is that it, it's this, you know, proactive way to dealing with this stress that this is this tool that parents have that might not be using it all the time. And, and it really could, as you're saying, reduce so much anxiety, stress, and depression. Well, yes, let's go. When I was writing on Selfie, I got to go into classrooms like Jennifer Bell's, but I also got to interview kids. And I asked the key question, just like your son, because he's not a sitter, let me just sit and do this deep breathing stuff. I said, what do your friends need? And every one of them said, stress reducers, tell us how the heck to reduce the stress. Do you know we're the most stressed out generation that there is? And I went, yeah. So what kind of things do you need? He said, the biggest thing you guys are doing wrong is teaching us just one strategy. Mindfulness works for some kids. Meditation works for some kids. Give us a repertoire of stuff. We get to choose what works for us. And then here's the next thing. He says, you don't learn it in a textbook. You know, you got to keep practicing it over and over again. The kid said, you got to sustain it. And if you sustain it, that's what's going to help us. And that's the secret for us. So for your son, it may be what I've discovered for a lot of teens. They got to go walking as they're doing it. Or they're going to go practice basketball or they're doing it. Or as you're lifting weights, go do it. But you got to ask the kid, what do you think will work for you? How can you use this? And if you mobilize the kid to buy into it, tell him why it matters and then give him some options. Oh, they're much more receptive. The other thing I've discovered is that there's fabulous apps that the tweens buy into. You can put them on your phone and they can use it that way. The third idea that I've seen that seems to be brilliant, particularly for girls, but I'm sure it's a boy thing too, is yoga. And what they're doing is mom-daughter yoga groups, but they're doing it by via Zoom. So at the same time, kids are missing recess. At the same time, every day, one mom takes over the Zoom link, and maybe there's a group of four kids. They're all doing yoga together. But what that mom is doing is not only teaching herself, she's teaching the rest of the moms. And once again, we're doing it together. Can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing parenting trend-wise? Do you believe that this helicopter parenting is beginning to diminish or um, are parents still stuck in that? When I wrote Thrivers, and that was that was the day before COVID started was the day I, I, I finished it. I had interviewed dozens and dozens of kids again. And the number one thing I asked them is how you feeling or what's going on with your, your generation, not you, your generation. They're always more open to how your friends doing. Not only were they stressed, the concern that really bothered me, and particularly for upper middle class areas, mm. was that they said they felt empty. In fact, most of them said they were felt like they were running on empty. I said, why? What's causing it? The killer was one kid said, I think we're being raised as test scores. And then my parents are forgetting I'm a human being. It hurts so bad. But then I began to hear almost the same thing. Now, in all fairness to us as moms and dads, we're so concerned about our children being successful. And we've been taught 
that the, that the gold ring is the GPA, the test score, and getting into college. Getting into college may be it, but we now know that it doesn't have to be Ivy League. The most successful individuals don't make Ivy League. They actually, if you talk, look at the top CEOs, uh-uh. Instead, what they had was that empathy piece, relationships, and if you were to go one step more, a couple of things to it. One step more when you choose the college, the single greatest correlation of whether or not your kid's going to stay there, because the number one time our kids drop out of college is end of freshman year, first semester. Why? Okay. Okay. Because they don't feel like they're connected and belong to the college. We've pushed the agenda on their kids. We need to give them the fist guide, give them some post-its, go put them in the bathroom and say, find the one that looks like you're going to feel good there. When you take them on the virtual tour, or when you take them on the tour, do you see that you would belong here? That's what you're looking for is, again, with. It's together. Empathy is the piece. I did a, a keynote for 2,500 mental health counselors across the U.S., and, I, and they brought me in because they said, we need empathy in college campuses. I said, really? I said, yeah. What do you think is the number one? De- that, how would you describe the kids coming in? Once again, they said the same thing as the kids. They're so, so smart, but they're empty. Yeah. And that just makes me, that makes me so sad. And, 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 and I see it and I understand it. And, you know, as a mom to two boys who wants them to do their best as well, I get it. I get it. You know, we all want our kids to succeed and do well, but, um, at what cost really? And our kids are telling us the cost. I think the piece, when we look back to resilience, My favorite researcher in the world who actually was at the UC Davis where I was way back when, her name was Emmy Werner. And she had the same question you've been asking and every parent is asked, which kids make it, which kids don't, which kids struggle, which kids shine. She did the most brilliant 40-year study tracking the same kids growing up almost at the same palm and she kept following them. And halfway through it, she realized some of them were really encountering extraordinary obstacles in their life. We can't cushion and bubble wrap on what the adversity our children are going to face. That's why we got to prepare them. But she kept seeing commonalities. And here's your answer. Then why I wrote Thrivers. I said, there's seven commonalities to them. Commonality number one is they had connection with people. They had relationships. They had empathy. And that was simply something that was cultivated. Number two, we talked about it. They had coping skills. Somebody taught them how to cope. They gave them mindfulness or deep breathing or here's what you can do. But the third thing she discovered, and here's the real silver lining for right now, almost every one of them had a hobby, a hobby that drove their passion that they could go to that wasn't violin because it's going to look good on a resume. Right. It wasn't soccer because you're going to, you're going to get that. Right. You're going to get that. Oh my gosh, that scholarship. It was what drives you. What's your passion? What she discovered is that when the kid found their hobby, it could be woodworking. It could be knitting. It could be books. Oh my heavens. Let's make it books. The child continued to use it the rest of their life. And when there was an adversity, They went back to that hobby because it helped center them and give them hope. Why doesn't each of us right now help our kids learn a hobby? And that's the thing. Exposure, exposure, exposure to find out what what makes you tick, what makes you happy, not that violin. You must do the violin because it's going to look good on your resume. I mean, they're kids. They don't need careers just yet. (laughs) 
That's why we now know that tiger mommying does not work. You push the agenda on the kid and the kid after a while just became the empty child. But here's your pause moment for right this moment. Just watch your kids. Watch your kids a little more. Listen to them. Expose them to kind of differences. Or, you know, it could be um, every week some parents do a different hobby as a family. Let's figure out which drives your kid's interest. And then once you realize, oh, my gosh, that's what he loves to do or that's what makes him happy and you're not good at it, here's your next golden opportunity. Find some other parents who share that hobby, who are good at that interest. Start some Zoom links and there's your after school. Okay, now let's let's learn knitting together or Mr. Jones is going to teach you woodworking together. Find three or four other kids, get them on the same link together Oh my gosh, you're going to once again, empathy together. Number two is the passion, the hobby. Number three is that's what kids actually say that gives them a sense of purpose. It helps them relax. And that's what I children need more. I think more than ever, if they're going to thrive, they need to learn now so they can thrive later. Okay, you're amazing. I could talk to you forever. Um, Before we leave, is there any other little nugget you could give us? Because I just have learned so much from this. And I know everyone who is going to listen to this is going to learn. And we are so appreciative. One little extra nugget. Uh, Well, other than read on selfie. (laughs) Because here's the thing. I'm, I'm saying to this. Every piece of research is in there. But what I also did was deliberately put 300 ideas from toddler to teen in there. And then I say to the parent, don't you dare try to do them all or your kid will never let you read another book. Instead, what you do is find one thing that works for you, your family. Uh, I think the single most important tip of the takeaway is we have a moment in history right now where we can push pause on our parenting and say, what really matters? Let's reset the dial. Are we doing what's going to help our children thrive? I I swear the single greatest force is empathy. That's what all the research says. And once you say, okay, it's empathy, then find one simple thing. My simple thing, my girlfriend does the two kind rule. There's easy, doesn't cost a dime. What is it? Well, when her kids were three, four, and five, she wanted to raise her daughters to be smart, but also kind. So she made one rule. When you leave this house every single day, you're going to say and do at least two kind things to somebody. Now, they brainstorm what kind things were, like smile or hold the door open. As you got older, she, you know, increased them. And then every day at nighttime, either before they went to bed or around the dinner hour, what'd you do and what impact did it have on people? Let me tell you something. She's raised because now they're now in their 30s. Three very smart girls, but they're three of the kindest kids you could possibly imagine. They're doing very well in life because mom stuck to one thing, one thing that she said mattered, and she embedded it in those kids till her voice became her children's voice. Oh, That's I love that. All about. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that story. That was really beautiful. Michelle, thank you so much for being on Kids Under Construction. Can you tell us, our audience, where people can find you and all your amazing work? Oh, thank you for the question. Yep, my name is Michelle Borba. I'm a 1L girl. Borba rhymes with Sorba. So all you need to do is go to michelleborba.com. Twitter is Michelle Borba. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Michelle Borba. And thanks for listening to Kids Under Construction. This is the place to come for helpful and teachable tools in this changing world for kids and parents. And you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Donna Tatro. Be sure to download, subscribe, and listen to Kids Under Construction. Thanks again.